Hey, Scott Walker here. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You can't recall courage. Big uh, issue of the week, of course, the presidential debate between uh, the current president, Donald Trump, and the former vice president, Joe Biden. And uh, in terms of reaction out there, it's interesting. I think back to the, uh, well, I think back to learning about it. I wasn't alive then. I was born in the late 1960s. But in 1960, in that at the time, which was the closest, one of the most contentious races for president in American history, uh, the first televised debate occurred between um, former Vice President Richard Nixon, uh, who was former Vice President at the time, had been Vice President to uh, President Eisenhower, and United States Senator John F. Kennedy. And what's always been interesting is I learned about it as a kid and heard more about it since and watched some of the videos and studied some of the passages. The uh, What made it interesting being the first televised debate was that if you, for the people who listened to it on the radio, uh, overwhelmingly said Nixon won the debate. For the people who watched it on television, which was a new phenomenon, uh, they said that Kennedy won. In essence, it was the difference between style over substance. And in many ways, that was kind of my sense about the uh, the debate this week between Trump and Biden, that if you actually spent your time listening to the substance of the debate, not the style, and and uh, admittedly, I think it wasn't just the, uh, uh, the aggressive nature of the president and his interruptions of not only uh, Biden, Joe Biden, but, but in... in uh, in many ways, the interruptions and, and uh, bickering with uh, the moderator, Chris Wallace, who I think he had to pick whether he was going to just let them go at it or he was going to he was going to uh, maintain some order. He, he didn't do either very effectively. Uh, granted, it was unusual circumstances, but bottom line, in fact, I, I joked after the debate, I felt like I had been simultaneously watching the movies The Fight Club and Grumpy Old Men. Uh, Joe Biden certainly didn't do himself any good if if he had just answered the question, stayed focused, pushed back when he needed to, but not told the president of the United States to shut up, man, um, I, I think he actually might have scored some points. But as it was, I got the sense that most people uh, went to their corners, meaning if you liked Trump, you liked him even more after the debate. If you liked, if you hated Trump, you were going to be with Biden anyway. And most undecided voters were kind of had it with them, all of them. But again, I go back to substance versus style. If you actually believe that ideas matter, clearly Donald Trump won the debate on Tuesday night. I mean, he, he defended his record and for the most part really made some, I think, some strong arguments for his ideas. The difficulty, of course, was that most undecided voters just couldn't look past the, uh, the issues they had with the style of the debate. And I think many of them, in fact, Frank Luntz actually described some of the polling he did with undecided voters about the debate saying that they looked at him and said, how do you expect me to make my mind up if they behave like this? Strategically, though, I I thought President Trump was right to interrupt Donald, uh, to interrupt Joe Biden, although I certainly wouldn't have done it almost all the time like he did. I, I think it's good to get him off track. Um, in, in an odd sort of way, it actually reminded me back eight years ago when uh, Barack Obama was up for re-election, but in the the debate between the vice presidential candidates. Then Vice President Joe Biden uh, was up against uh, fellow Wisconsinite, fellow Cheesehead, Paul Ryan, who was in Congress at the time. And if you remember it, uh, Biden 
constantly interrupted Paul Ryan. He could barely get a thought out, and Joe Biden was jumping in on it. So I don't think that's a bad thing. It gets off the game. Clearly, uh, the times when Biden did the best was when he had a period of uninterrupted time to kind of uh, lay things out. He clearly had done, I think, a significant amount of debate prep, which I had warned for months. Uh, I said it even repeatedly this week that uh, I, I didn't buy the argument that Joe Biden was going to be Sleepy Joe. I felt like part of the reason why they'd kept him off the campaign trail, other than um, a little bit of time each morning in the last few weeks, was because they didn't. They wanted him rested and ready for the debate. They were taking it easy on his schedule. They had done plenty of debate prep. I think it showed. He uh, he clearly had anticipated some of the questions. Some people thought he actually had the questions. I don't believe that, certainly not from Chris Wallace. But I think he knew what the themes were going to be and had all but memorized a number of these issues. You could see, and I, I, you know, you do this. I've, I've been involved in debates, helping others get ready. Like Mike Pence four years ago, I was his debate partner. And obviously in each of my four big elections, as well as being involved in a couple of uh, presidential primary debates, if you do it right, you simulate it as much as you can. I used to have somebody play the moderator, my opponent. Um, it wasn't because you necessarily uh, necessarily get to the point where you memorize things or that as much as, and my wife, Tonette, pointed this out early in one of our first debate preps when I was running in, for the first time in 2010, and that is that I would get, and I would imagine most people are like this, you get to the best part of your answers couple of sentences in. So the more you practice, the more you go through a simulated, you know, real life simulation of what a debate would be like. And if your debate prep partners are doing it right, it actually should be tougher in debate prep than it is in a real thing. But you constantly refine yourself. So you're getting, you're not changing your answer, you're getting to the best part quicker. And also if, if they're being hard on you, which they appropriately should be, uh, you go through some of the either things you might not expect or just tone and demeanor. Um, again, I don't think it's bad for Trump uh, in the future of the last two debates to interrupt him. I just wouldn't do it all the time and certainly don't get in a fight with the moderator. But on substance, if you look, if he if he sticks to the substance, which I think he's a better position to do, the next debate, of course, is between Vice President Pence and Senator Harris, which I think will be completely different. They're seated. Susan Page, the Washington Bureau Director of USA Today, is the moderator. I don't think she'll be nearly as aggressive as Wallace was. Uh, I think they'll probably be somewhat more respectful, although I, I anticipate it'll get lively along the way as well, just not like I don't think anything could get like the other night. Uh, but I think in the following uh, debate, which will be the second of the three presidential debates, it is more of a town hall. It's a real audience, be they separated, uh, but a town hall similar to what President Trump did a week or two ago on ABC News. I actually think he does pretty well in that format. And I think it's helpful because if he's listening to people, responding to them, he can play off of Biden a little bit, but he, I think he'll just leave the moderator alone. Who, by the way, we just learned today, uh, once upon a time, was an intern for Biden and it worked for Ted Kennedy. So not exactly the most objective uh, of moderators, which I think is a problem for the commission on presidential debates. But, uh, you know, just more fodder for the fake news and the uh, the bias in the media argument that we've been saying for years. But again, if you look at substance, um, 
I think the president had the upper hand. I mean, the facts were overwhelmingly on his side. He correctly noted that the American economy was doing exceptionally well before this global pandemic. I mean, think about it. By the end of last year, we had unemployment at a 50-year low. And when you think about unemployment rates for African-Americans in this country, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, people with disabilities and veterans, they were the lowest ever recorded in each of those categories. We, even if you think about it, um, you know, we were experiencing a booming economy, the greatest in the history of the world. All that under Donald Trump's watch. Certainly a stark contrast, as he pointed out, to the slowest economic recovery since the Great Depression. Uh, that's what we slogged through under President Obama in Joe Biden's uh, time in office. Now, to me, one of those key moments in the debate came when Biden said he would get rid of the Trump tax cuts. He had said that during the primary. I pointed this out before. He said it at a at a rally down in South Carolina. But he said clearly during the debate that he would get rid of the Trump tax cuts. Well, fact check after fact check has said that the overwhelming majority of Americans, overwhelming majority of the hardworking American taxpayers benefited from the Trump tax cuts. If you get rid of that, that means the vast majority of us, the vast majority of hardworking taxpayers in this country would see a a tax increase under Joe Biden's plan. In fact, his total plan, $4 trillion tax increases, is far more. It's much bigger than what Hillary Clinton's plan was four years ago. In addition, uh, Biden has said this before, but it was raised again during the debate. He said that he would shut down the entire American economy. He might do it as soon as January, if that's what his advisors tell him to do. That would just destroy, that would devastate small businesses and lead to massive job losses. Uh, so I, I thought that was a significant win on substance. Whether or not people were able to get past the style and the bickering and the pushback, I don't know. Uh, but I would say if, if there's a way that the president can continue to be strong, occasionally interrupt, but really stay focused on the substance of his arguments, uh, I think he can do far, far better in the next two debates between him and Biden. And I think that can put him in a good position to win. We want to come back. I want to talk more about uh, the substance uh, triumphing over the style and, uh, and what more can be done in the next debate. We'll be right back. Hey, Scott Walker, thanks for coming back on You Can't Recall Courage, our podcast. So I was saying about the debate, you know, just interesting. If you focus on substance over style, I think it's pretty clear that uh, Donald Trump won. A good example of that is, uh, again, an area where clearly they were prepared for this. Uh, Joe Biden's been signaling, signaling uh, his willingness to tack on this uh, for quite some time. Kamala Harris and surrogates as well. You know, the outrageousness of Biden at one point trying to say that every death related to coronavirus was was solely because of Donald Trump. Of course, that's ridiculous. It's a global pandemic. But I think the president fought back uh, particularly well when he pointed out that Biden, and we've heard this before, but I thought he did it in a really effective way, saying, you know, Biden uh, pushed back. He opposed uh, the president's travel restrictions for people coming from China and eventually other uh, location, uh, other places like Europe. And the president, I think, rightfully pointed out that you, you could have had a much, much higher death toll had had he listened to Biden and not taken that action. Uh, and that's supported by facts out there. In fact, actually, he didn't say this, but it fits in well with that. Remember back in March, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks told President Trump and Vice President uh, Pence at the time, who was heading 
the White House Coronavirus Task Force, that if they did not take immediate action, remember this, this was when, you know, they had to flatten the curve because it was escalating. So if they didn't take immediate uh, action, uh, and this is the impetus for the whole 15 days to bend the curve campaign, we all remember, it seems like it was six years ago, but if they didn't do that, as many as 2.2 million Americans might die from coronavirus. Well, obviously, they did bend the curve. And, um, and, and while we mourn with those who mourn, the fact of the matter is that that action taken by the president and his administration after the uh, clear warning from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx saved lives, arguably hundreds of thousands of lives. And uh, it's all part of the contrast with Biden, who was attacking things like the restrictions on travel. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you also pointed out something I've been saying for quite some time, and that is Joe Biden's got n- nothing to stand on when it comes to this issue. His own chief of staff last year in a speech comments at Texas A&M, his own chief of staff, Joe Biden's former chief of staff, st- said this about H1N1. He said, quote, we did every possible thing wrong. 60 million Americans got H1N1 in that period of time. And it is just just purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the greatest mass casualty events in American history, unquote. That's Joe Biden's former chief of staff. They screwed it up and they just got lucky. Uh, and the American people, more importantly, got lucky uh, that this wasn't, uh, as he said, one of the greatest mass casualty events in American history. So I thought he, he did pretty well in something where I thought at least the bias would be for him to be vulnerable. Another area where I thought he turned the table was on climate change and energy, so-called climate change, uh, the way they uh, asked the question. It should have been, or, or conventional wisdom, I suggest, would would uh, would contend that it would be a, a, a net benefit for Biden. But again, President Trump turned the tables and talked about how he wants, you know, absolutely the cleanest air and the cleanest water, but not at the expense of jobs or economic growth. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, he he didn't let Biden back him in the corner or even Wallace. He pushed back on that. In fact, he got him so off sorts that Biden at one point was defending the so-called Green New Deal, which is not green, not new, and certainly not a deal. But he was defending it until like something snapped or something went off in his ear or head or whatever, uh, saying, oh, wait, you can't do that. And he immediately snapped and pointed out <laughs> that he he's not for the Green New Deal which, of course, in the president so oh, you just lost the left. I don't know if he fully lost the left because the left hates Trump so much that I don't know they, they, they're they going to vote for anybody who's breathing and uh, and the opposite or, or the the not Democrat nominee against Trump. But but uh, it was like he kind of woke up. And I thought it's important because if you go back and Trump alluded to this, if you go back and look at the Biden-Harris website, it actually says that uh, that uh, the Green New Deal provides the framework for their plan going forward. Well, that so-called plan would devastate the economies of states like mine. It would devastate Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and plenty of other states that are heavily dependent on manufacturing and on agriculture. Like I said, his own website says that. And another issue that I thought was interesting was the president pushing the need for law and order in our country. And Actually challenging Biden to even say it. And then when Biden kind of pushed back and said he had police support, 
I thought it was brilliant how Trump said, name one, name one group that's for him. I, I mean, you know, even in New York City, Philadelphia the other day, law or, um, fire service and paramedics came out for Trump. Uh, you've seen one organization after another with law enforcement, including a lot of Democrat sheriffs come out uh, for uh, the Biden-Pence, excuse me, for the Trump-Pence uh, ticket. And I think it's because they get what we've been seeing all summer, and that uh, is that you've had a summer of silence from Biden, and, and particularly from his running mate, Kamala Harris. The senator continues to support organizations that are calling to defund the police. Uh, and I thought Trump was right to point out, hey, the violence has been brewing in Democrat-led cities like Chicago, Portland, Seattle, even Kenosha and Madison in my state. And that's where I thought... Uh, Mr. Biden's uh, silence uh, uh, was really significant. When you think about it, we saw it firsthand in Wisconsin. He was silent really for, th- for the first three days, and it wasn't until after three nights of businesses burning to the ground and tragically two people were killed then and only then, and presumably after his focus groups and polls showed that he was in trouble, then and only then did Biden actually speak out and say anything about the violence. Uh, meanwhile, his running mate, Kamala Harris, is out raising money to for organizations that bail people out uh, of jail uh, from the riots that occurred in Minneapolis. And, you know, I look at that and say so much for law and order. Uh, but to me, that was the contrast. And I also thought one of the weakest moments for Biden was when Wallace asked him if he'd support things like packing, adding seats to the Supreme Court, and if he would support ending the Senate filibuster. To me, it was just a weak response. He's oh, I, he wasn't going to allow the answer to that question to allow Trump to change the subject and focus. Well, that's what leadership's about. You've got to take positions. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, Biden for years has opposed packing the court. For years he's opposed. I mean, he is a, he's been in the Senate almost as long as I've been alive. He didn't want to change any of those things. He's silent about them because he needs the support of radicals in his own party. And in being silent, he's sending a signal to all those radicals that if Democrats take control of both chambers and the White House, he's going to do that and probably add in creating a state, uh, uh, allowing the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico to become states and adding four more seats in the United States Senate. These are just more examples of Joe Biden's flip-flops. He will do and say anything to elect it. Finally, the president summed up, I think, best some things up best when he declared that he, Donald Trump, had done more in office in 47 months than Joe Biden had done in 47 years since he first took office in Washington. To me, that's just one more reason to drain the swamp during the next four years. And that's just some of my thoughts when it comes to this debate. And as I mentioned at the onset, I think the president needs to stay strong. He needs to stay aggressive. Uh, he needs to focus on the strength of his ideas and the issues, uh, but just find a way to, you know, forget about making this uh, a battle. Certainly don't make it a battle with the moderator. Forget about uh, uh, m- making it solely a battle about Joe Biden. Uh, defend America. Don't just defend yourself and your policies. Defend America. Show your love for America and for the American people. This next for- debate format is perfect for that. You got everyday American citizens asking questions. Be respectful to them. Talk to them and talk to the audience at home. Um, don't get caught up with with constantly interrupting Joe Biden. Occasionally, you can 
interrupt him if he's way off track, which happens more often than not. Uh, but in the end, make it a conversation with the American people about why your plans are better and why his outsourcing of his agenda to the radical left is not the answer to move America forward. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Scott Walker. Keep fighting for freedom.